Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. God bless you and thank you for tuning in. I pray these are a blessing to you as well. Today we are in the book of Revelation, and I'd like to reread beginning in Revelation chapter 6, the first of the four seals. And we're not going to go over everything that we went over yesterday in detail in the same way, but I do want to make a few comments extra than what I went into yesterday because I knew that we had already spent a good bit of time in yesterday's episode. So I would like to bring in a few other points about that today, and then we will continue forward with the breaking and loosing of these seals in the next episode. So to start us out, let me just reread Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked. And behold, a white horse, he who sat on it, had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. When he had opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. I want to just briefly review the things that we did discuss yesterday and move forward into one other introductory portion that will help us in understanding these seals and what the seals begin, the time frame and what the seals open up for us. So first of all, in Revelation chapter 6, we see the Lamb who is the only one worthy to hold and open and read the scroll beginning to loose its seals. We talked about how it's like the horse is raring to go, and the Lord, by loosing the seals, is finally beginning to open the gate, and they are eager, and they take off running. It is the official beginning of the wrath and judgment of the Lamb and of God on the throne. And it is His wrath on the earth dwellers, those who are evil against him, those who can't stand him, those who hate God and who are doing all kinds of evil, delighting in it. And it is God's judgment and discipline upon his own people that are in sin and unrepentance in order to draw them 
to Yeshua, the true Messiah. So we looked at the first four seals and the horses and riders that are raring to go on those. The first one we talked about, most scholars typically believe to be the revealing of the Antichrist. Who is he? He is the false Messiah. We typically call him the Antichrist, and we get that word from one of John's writings. But he is also known as a false Messiah, the Pseudo-Christ. He has other names in the scripture. He is the man of sin. He is also called the son of perdition. There's only one other in the scriptures called by that name, and that is Judas Iscariot. So Judas became a type of this Antichrist. He's also called the lawless one. He is coming with deception on this white horse, and he is coming to conquer and to be in control. Let's look at a few passages in scripture that will give us more understanding about this Antichrist, this one that we believe is revealed to the world on the public stage with this breaking of the first seal. Now, he's probably in the shadows prior to the breaking of the first seal. He's probably gaining authority, gaining some degree of power and influence, gaining some skill and understanding and so forth. But he is not revealed until he is held back from being revealed until the Lamb of God breaks this first seal. Many scholars typically do agree that this breaking of the first seal is the revelation of the Antichrist publicly, him coming on the stage publicly. So let's read a few places that tell us, and there are many other prophetic words that we could read, so we are having to be quite selective in these short truth tidbits as we go through, but I will try to do as thorough of a job as I can in helping you to understand things the best I can. So the first place I'd like to read is the Gospel of John, chapter 5. In John, chapter 5, I'd like to begin reading in verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. This is Jesus speaking here. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, speaking of John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, meaning the scriptures, the Old Testament, are they which testify of me, Jesus says. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. 
if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. He's speaking of the Antichrist there. Let me reread that. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So he's speaking here about the coming of the lawless one, the coming of the Antichrist, the coming of the false Messiah, the pseudo-Christ, who they will accept at first, believing him to be their Messiah, but in reality, he is a false Messiah to the Jewish people. Next, let's go to John's epistle, 1 John chapter 2. And I want to begin the reading in verse 15. 1 John 2 verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. I want to stop right here for just a moment. John is speaking about the Antichrist is coming. In his day, he knew that there was this man of sin this one that Jesus had prophetically said would come in his own name and be accepted as a false Messiah by the Jewish people. But he says, even now many antichrists have come. Jesus prophetically said that. That's why he says, by which we know that it is the last hour. Jesus prophetically said in Matthew chapter 24 and other places that there would be many antichrists that would come, many that would come and say, I am he. Come follow me, talking about the true Messiah. And they would be claiming to be the true Messiah, in other words, claiming to be Jesus. So John is telling us that there is a spirit of Antichrist in the world. Let's continue reading in First John here in chapter 2, and let's pick it up in verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, 
And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Praise be to God. He continues that verse, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So John is giving us some clarity here on the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world and has been in the world, as we will see in just a moment. There's a spirit of Antichrist in the world that John is bringing to our attention, and it's been here all the way back in Genesis, and we will see that in a few moments as well. The next place I want to look at is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want to begin the reading in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. He's speaking here about the Antichrist being revealed. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So here we see Paul giving us more information about this coming of the lawless one. And it is with the power of Satan in the, according to the working of Satan he is going to be destroyed by the Lord in the end, and we will see that also for us in the book of Revelation. And he is being restrained at this time. And Paul gives us more information here about he who restrains, meaning the work of the Holy Spirit through his church is what's restraining him. And once the church is taken up, we've seen that in Revelation 4 and 5, and the Lamb receives the scroll, and begins to unloose its seals, then the lawless one is going to be revealed at that time. 
So we see from these passages much more about the coming of this one. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, all the way back to Genesis, we see types of the Antichrist. Let's talk about that. We see all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis 11, the very first one is Nimrod. And we read the story of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, or Babel, from which Babylon has come. And in essence, all of this goes all the way back to Nimrod and Babylon in the earlier days. And we will get more into that later in the book of Revelation. But then we come, fast forward through history, and you see other examples. For instance, Haman in the book of Esther was a type of the Antichrist. Nebuchadnezzar was a type of the Antichrist. We read about him in the book of Daniel. Antiochus Epiphanes, between the Testaments. We don't read about him in the scriptures. We do read about him coming in the scriptures. Daniel prophetically spoke about him as a near fulfillment of part of that prophecy. And then even in further modern times, in the time of the apostles, you had Nero, who became a, a type of Antichrist. And in more modern times, you might could say someone like Hitler was a type of the Antichrist. So the Antichrist spirit has been alive throughout history. And we have a synopsis of history given to us in the book of Daniel. So we understand a little bit more about who this one is that's coming deceptively on the white horse to deceive, to conquer, perhaps with diplomacy and smooth speaking words. He has a bow, but no arrows. He is granted this power to conquer and to subdue. We saw the second seal, second seal where they would remove peace and bring nothing but violence, unrest, and killing of one another. The third seal brought famine, inflation, hyperinflation. Basic sustenance is all you can work your lives for at that point. And food shortages, even perhaps rationing and supply chain issues. The fourth is when death and Hades come riding on this pale horse. And we saw in Ezekiel chapter 14 how the four severe judgments match up perfectly. And we understood from Ezekiel why those were released upon the people. We also looked at Daniel chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 28 in reference to a covenant that Daniel prophetically speaks about that will be made with this Antichrist. He will broker it or he will confirm it with many, which will include Israel. And I want to talk more about that so that you can understand a little bit more about that. But we looked a little bit at it in the last episode in Daniel chapter 9 and in Isaiah chapter 28, which may be speaking of the same thing. So let's try to get a little bit further understanding. And then in the next episode, we continue opening the seals. So there is a prophetic word from Daniel chapter 9 about 70 weeks that were determined for Daniel's people, the Jews. This is who this is in reference to. And so we want to understand more about this 70th week of Daniel. To do that, I'd like to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says this, 
70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. That would be the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem. The purpose for these 70 weeks, continuing in the reading, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. After the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Let's stop there for a moment. So Daniel is told the exact timing here, and some have seen this in history and actually projected it out, and it fits perfectly with when Messiah the Prince comes riding into Jerusalem on the donkey as king, that he is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And the people are worshiping him and giving him the messianic cry from Psalm chapter 118, recognizing him in that moment as king. So this is fulfilled. And this was after those first 69 weeks that Daniel prophetically spoke about. Now, he says then after this, Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. In other words, Messiah would be killed. That's what that means. He would be crucified and, and die, but not because of something he did. He died because of our sin, not something he did himself. He was sinless. Continuing on in Daniel verse 26, the rest of this reading. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, this is speaking of the people of the prince who is to come, referencing the Antichrist and his kingdom. That there's coming a prince, that prince is spoken of in other places in Daniel, and he's coming from the Roman Empire. He's coming, we see that through Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's vision in Daniel chapter 2, which I do want to look at in just a moment. So you can understand the prince of the people who is to come. In Daniel's day, he was referring to the Roman Empire and later even the prince that would come from the Roman Empire. So let's discuss that in a moment. He says, he will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be a with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he, meaning the prince of the people who is to come, or who we call the Antichrist, will confirm, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. You must understand that in this 70-week prophecy, these are weeks of sevens, seven years. That's what that means when he says that it's a week. He's talking about a period of seven, and he is referring to a period of seven years. So in the middle of this seven-year period, he continues on, he says, Let's, let me read verse 27 again. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week or a seven-year period 
but in the middle of the week, three and a half years into it, he shall bring, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Jesus refers to this specific prophecy when he is telling the disciples about the end time and about what is to come. And he calls it the abomination of desolations. We will get into that in a future episode much more in detail than what we will here. But it will happen in the middle of that seven-year period. Daniel continues on, And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So there's coming this prince who is to come. That's what Daniel calls the same one that John refers to as the Antichrist, the same one that Paul refers to as the lawless one or the son of perdition, the same one that Jesus refers to as the one who will come in his own name. So this is who we're talking about, this Antichrist. And all of this will occur in this 70th week period of Daniel. So Daniel in chapter 9 actually prophetically speaks of both Jesus' first coming all the way down to the exact time and his mission that he comes to die, but not for himself. And he speaks of his second coming. Now, Daniel tells us when this begins, that there is a time factor in it. And in the book of Daniel, you will see he not only calls it a week, the seven-year period, but he also gets down to the very months and the very days. This is another reason. This is one other reason that we believe a pre-tribulation rapture is supported in the scripture. Because Jesus said, that you will not know the day or the hour of his coming for his bride, the church. But if you don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you can know the exact day or time because of Daniel's prophetic word. That's one place that proves to us that the rapture of the church will begin and will happen before the tribulation begins. This prince of the people who is to come, this Antichrist, according to Daniel and the prophetic word with Nebuchadnezzar's vision and the interpretation of it, he will arise out of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, we are told, Daniel had the word from it, it would be divided. And we know from history it was divided, and there is a western leg and an eastern leg. We do not know which one of those the Antichrist is coming from. Most Bible scholars believe it's coming from the Western leg. That's possible. It is also possible it could be coming from the Eastern leg. But it will come from that part. He will be a prince of the power of that nation that was to come in Daniel's day, which was Rome. This all goes back to Daniel chapter 2 and Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I want to read a portion of Daniel chapter 2. I encourage you to read the entire chapter. It is a long chapter, so for the sake of time, I will shorten it and only read certain sections. And I will mention to you, I cover more about this entire chapter and how it applies to Jesus, especially in his first coming, in another 
series that I've done, a short Christmas series actually, called Countdown to the Manger. And in Countdown to the Manger, I believe it's the very first lesson, I deal with the Magi coming to Jesus, etc. I talk about who they are, why they came, etc. So there's much more that ties with Daniel chapter 2 in that message. But for today, for our purposes, I want to choose just a few of these verses to help you understand what's going on. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. He wants people to tell him what he dreamed and the interpretation of it and his wise men and all of the magicians and all that he supports and he has around him to advise him and all of that. They're saying, King, you tell us what you dream. We'll be glad to tell you what, what it means. But there ain't nobody on earth. There ain't no man on earth that can tell you what you dreamed and then tell you what, what it means. Well, they were right. There is no man on earth that can do that. Let's pick up the reading in Daniel chapter 2, verse 16. Daniel was among the wise men, as were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know them by their Babylonian given names. And so the king had started having all the wise men killed. And they come to Daniel, and, you know, Daniel was among those who would have been on the chopping block, so to speak. And so in verse 16, it says this, So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So then it says, verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel recognized that this didn't come to him because he's some other great person. It came to him as a direct revelation from God because they sought God who reveals secrets. And Daniel goes on and he blesses the Lord and he says things. Let's, let's read verse 21. And he, meaning God, changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. And so he gives praise to him. He gives thanks to him that God has made this known. So now let's read again in verse 27 through 30. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days." Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And then he begins to tell him the dream. He says, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living 
but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And then he goes forward and he begins to tell him about his dream. The head of it was gold, the chest and arms were silver, and then the middle section was bronze, and then it had legs of iron and feet and toes. The toes were of clay and iron together. And so Daniel sees this interpretation of this dream, and he tells him exactly what all it means. And so he tells him, he says, your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is the head of gold, but another one's coming after you. That's represented by the silver, and that was the Medo-Persian army that, and the Medo-Persian empire that came after Babylon. And then the bronze was Greece that came after that. And then the iron was the Roman Empire. And you notice the feet, the toes of the clay and iron, and the legs that the Roman Empire had two sections, the Western and the Eastern. And so you get down to the feet and the toes, and there's the 10 toes, and there's iron and clay mixed together. So that's what Daniel is seeing and being able to interpret to him. Notice that it's 10 toes, and Daniel also prophetically speaks in another place about 10 kings that will arise during this time period that we are studying in the book of Revelation. It's iron and potter's ceramic clay mixed together. So Daniel is prophetically speaking here about this Antichrist empire and kingdom. And Daniel says this, I want to read beginning in verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. He's speaking of Rome there. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So Daniel gives him the understanding that, yes, after the Roman Empire is completed, there will come a time when you will have this Antichrist kingdom made up of this Antichrist, who is the prince of the power to come, Daniel told us in Daniel chapter 9, and a rulership with 10 kings, 10 toes that are serving with him. But that kingdom will be destroyed when the Lord himself will consume it with the breath of his mouth. And we will read about that later in Revelation. 
That's the great news, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we understand he, Jesus and his eternal kingdom is that stone hewn without hands that Daniel just spoke about. So here, Daniel has given us a summary of history from the Babylonian Empire all the way through Revelation chapter 20 through 22. That is a summation of entire history from Daniel's time all the way through to Jesus' second coming and his eternal kingdom. The prince is this Antichrist from the Iron Kingdom or coming from Rome in some way. There is this 70th week, this seven-year cycle that remains, and that's what we're beginning to talk about here. The Antichrist will arise on the public stage, probably with this first seal. He will be wreaking havoc along with maybe these others, these 10 kings, etc., during these first four seals and really continuing on. But the fourth seal is the possible signing of the covenant or confirming of the covenant. It does seem to be a possibility. We do not know. We do not know exactly when that covenant is confirmed. After the first seal is broken, we know there is a space of time from when Jesus takes the church out and the first seal is broken and the tribulation officially begins. And it may or may not be that right in those first four seals is when this covenant is signed. It may be something that comes later. But there will be a covenant signed, confirmed, whatever, and it will be for seven years. Jesus also referred to that when he was speaking about what's coming in the last days, as well as Daniel and other places. So we know this to be true. We looked at Isaiah chapter 28 in the last episode, and we considered that possibly with the fourth seal, the writers being death and Hades or Sheol or the grave, that that may be this covenant that Isaiah prophetically spoke about. And it may be the same covenant that Daniel also prophesied about. So in all of this, we have some clues to other future things we will talk about in the book of Revelation, such as the covenant with many, including the Jewish people, the temple, the fact that the word of God says that there will be a coming temple, but to leave the court alone until the times of the Gentiles are ended. We'll look at the times of the Gentiles. It is not the same as the fullness of the Gentiles that Paul spoke about in Romans eleven twenty five, We will talk about the abomination of desolation. We will also talk about the flight to the wilderness. But notice this, that as these seals begin to be broken and God's judgment begins to come about, God is accomplishing two things. He is judging evil and setting the stage for true justice and righteousness to prevail. The people that seem to be getting by with things will not get by with them forever. Asaph saw that prophetically all the way back in Psalm chapter 73. And if you go back and you read Psalm 73 that Asaph wrote, you will see his words where he said, I didn't understand why the evildoers kept getting by with things until I went into the presence of the Lord, the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. 
and their end is a very bitter end. So the word of the Lord to them would be repent now before it's too late because that evil will be dealt with and true justice will come. The second thing the Lord is doing is dealing with Israel to draw them to himself. He is fulfilling all the prophetic words about Israel being saved, about Israel being drawn back to him. He is dealing with his people. I've heard several prophetic teachers say it this way and describe it like this. The tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. And that is one of its major purposes. But I encourage you today, know Jesus now. We are still in this age and window of grace. Come to him now before it's too late. Because once the age of grace ends, it will be much harder. Yes, can, you, can people get saved during the tribulation? Yes, they can. But there is going to be strong delusion. We read that today where Jesus declared it through Paul that there would be strong delusion and people would believe a lie. It's going to be harder for them to believe in Jesus. And when they do, it will most likely all cost them their life because they're going to have to be martyred. And we will look at that in a coming episode as well. Jesus is coming for his church. And I want to end on this good note with you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because Paul says that these words are to comfort us. So I leave you with this in Jesus' name. Beginning in verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those who have died prior to this physically. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I pray that these words are comforting to you because you've already secured your home in heaven by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and letting him be the Lord of your life. And you are loving him and serving him day by day and watching and eagerly waiting for his coming for his bride because it is near even at the door. Comfort one another with these words. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.